ติปันโนยาสัพพังกวะโตภวะกสังโฆธามยังพังกวันตังธรรมัมสุสังขังอิเมหิสังการะอิยตาระหัมมารุปินเทหิยเปปุจยาสัตุโนบันเทนวัสุจิรปารินีปุตโตปิบาจิมาจันดานุกัมบาอนุสาอิเมสังกาเรกัจจานังการะบุญเทติกันหาตุอามหากรรมดีกาลาอินายสุขายนะฮัมมาสัมบุตรหัวพังกวาบุญธรรมพังกวันดังพิวาเดสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวสุปฏิปันโนภังกวะตัวสาวกสังโฆสังฆังยมังนมัยอัมบุดาสัพพะวะตัวผู้ปปากนมักรังโรมาสีนามวันดาสัพพะวะตุอรหันตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนามวันดาสัพพะวะตุอรหันตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนามวันดาสัพพะวะตุอรหันตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะSo we're going to do some more chanting. Yeah, you want to leave the lights on? Do a little more chanting. Let's look at page 39 on your books. On your books. (coughs) 
So just a little <coughs> practice with the chanting. So this one, just uh, obviously this is the four Brahma Vihara. It's the same book. And uh, just to give you a little instruction, where you see the the triangles where they're pointing up, that means you you raise your voice half a tone, semitone. When you're pointing down, you drop it a semitone. Or and uh, the underline means you lengthen that particular syllable. And with chanting, it's really just like trying to use the normal ry- rhythm of your bre- your breath. So so. So you just chant as long as your breath is there. And when you run out of breath, you stop. And then you start again, you know, a few words later. So generally because people's breath patterns are different, there's always somebody. (laughs) We don't all stop at the same time. But the the feeling is, because it's supposed to be with your breath, because it's very much the body, you know, so it becomes a... That's why a lot of these um, teachings were chanted because it's felt like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's the silly sacred stuff, they never wrote it down because it, it felt like you write down laundry lists and accounts, you don't write down, you chant, it comes to come through a human body before it's properly respected. <laughs> That's the feeling of it. So it has to, it's your very breath the living quality of your breath is part of the of the chanting, part of the meaning, because it's actually then, particularly with a chant like this, you are at that very moment almost embodying what the chant is about, which is this quality of kindness and compassion. So it's really chanting from the heart. And to do anything from the heart, you have to do it through the body. Otherwise it's just an idea, mm. <coughs> nice idea. <coughs> So it's a lovely exercise chanting. You, see, you have to, you know, you, we're so used to just running across words, you know, strings of got it, got it, <laughs> and this is very much more like uh, breathing it, living it, feeling it with your breath, you know, rhythm of your breath. So there's no hurry. It doesn't matter if you don't get to the end of the line. <coughs> In fact. Yeah, my the suggestion is that you do learn to pause, particularly at the ends of the lines, yeah. to to let that resonance just be, be felt you know, as, it, as you experience it. Or you just said a word like you know, "heart imbued with loving kindness." That's not just like a laundry list, you know. That's uh, uh, so we give ourselves time to hear the meaning, hear the sound, hear the resonance, hear the feeling of it. And then it becomes like a, uh, you know, a, a, a teaching experience in its own right. <coughs> so, <coughs> Let us make the four boundless qualities shine forth. I will abide pervading one quarter with a heart in <laughs>
imbued with loving kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above and below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself. I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world, with a heart imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. I will abide pervading one quarter with a heart imbued with compassion, likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above and below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself, I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world, with a heart imbued with compassion, Abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. I will abide, pervading one quarter, with a heart imbued with gladness, likewise the second, likewise the third. Likewise the fourth, so above and below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself, I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world, with a heart imbued with gladness, abundant, exalted, Immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will. I will abide, pervading one quarter, with a heart imbued with equanimity. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. Above and below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself, I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world, with a heart imbued with equanimity, abundant, exalted, immeasurable without hostility and without ill will.
recognizing the resource of the heart <coughs> the heart is uh, bashed and bruised and uh, confused <coughs> frightened, reactive impulsive angry sinking all this is uh, the tonalities it moves through Mm. Mm. and there's a deepening something more fundamental than all those uh, storms and uh, colorations and reactions this is the ground of empathy <coughs> sometimes even just naming acknowledging the nature of this uh, heart experience that uh, human beings have, we all have. Also, when we see, well, this is not some personal, peculiar, individual experience, sorrow, confusion, (coughs) storms that run through. So the really uh, worst thing really that happens is a sense of self <laughs> isolation, separation, something wrong with me alone on my own. Everyone else is sort of muddling okay is something wrong with me. Uh, not even necessarily a, a rational thought, but just that instinctive sense of, you know, I'm separated from, I'm different from, I'm shut in with this, I'm isolated from, you know. And that's also what people experience. We all have in common a sense of separation. <coughs> Once we've <coughs> begun to recognize this, it looks kind of okay to me. <laughs> but what we all have in common is, is <coughs> the experience of separation <coughs> called birth. Once you're born, then you, you experience a sense of separateness. So now you, you find the experience of being bound within a physical form and behind sense doors and everybody else is in their little box and you're in yours and uh, you know now that uh, you know how the pain occurs when we feel rejected thrown out, dumped, abandoned shamed disapproved of, disliked, and some kind of, you're not part of the 
team anymore, you're not, you know, you're out. And that uh, is a, you know, kind of, say, basic sense, wounded sense, and around that, uh, that sense comes up so many times when we feel, you know, I'm the one who isn't good enough, or I have these particular history or problems or, you know, difficult patches, you know, that somehow make me separate. And generally, though we don't intellectually think that, the feeling can come when you feel overwhelmed, feel very much on your own, stuck in your own stuff and under it all. This is something that happens to all of us, so that's what we have in common. Once we really sense this, the, yes, the heart comes to another level. Instead of the, where it's forming around myself, which is always a sad and besieged place to form around, it forms around the experience of uh, dukkha that we all have in common, we all share. And acknowledging that, the heart widens to a place of, oh well, this is the way it is for everyone. As we all know, the probably well, the story, the story of Kisa Gotami and the mustard seed. Mm-hmm. Is to refresh one's memory of that. You know, a woman Kisa Gotami, a baby is died. And uh, she sees the Buddha and asks him, could you help me? You know, the baby's died. So yeah, I think I can do something. Take, get, go to a house in the local village and just get one grain of mustard seed. That's all you need. But you, so she goes to rush off. He says, just be, before you go, just get it from someone in a house where nobody's died. So of course she goes to the first house. Yeah, we can give you mustard seed. Oh. Anybody died? Oh yeah, my father died two months ago. Okay. Next house. Wife died last week. Next house. Oh, we're just still grieving for our son. Got killed in an accident. Next house. Yeah, my aunt, husband, brother, sister, so on. Goes around the village and eventually through that process of just hitting the same place again and again. Oh yeah, this is where we all are. We're all here. And strangely enough, feeling oh now I can now I can bury the baby. Now I can let it go. It's a sense of the possibility. Empathy. And it doesn't only happen in through pain and suffering, it happens uh, generosity. It happens because we sense the joy of connecting to another person. Oh yeah, she'd like this. Oh yeah, I'll get her that. She'd like that. It'd be really nice just to give her that. And we feel good. 
in that moment we, we unite in a quality of giving and receiving it occurs in um, generosity it occurs in <coughs> even morality it's understood properly is a sense of real respect and uh, wishing for the welfare of others so we don't abuse, cheat to them you know. Buddha explained it to the uh, Kalamas, I believe. <coughs> How would you feel do you, if someone lied to you? Well, we wouldn't want to do that. So, the sense of empathy really is um, where we begin in Buddha Dhamma. We begin, that's where it begins. Buddha, when he gave his instructions, to newcomers, he say, "Will you begin with generosity? You know what that's like. Oh yeah, everybody knows what that's like. Just tune into that. Make much of that experience. It doesn't mean you've got to start giving lots of things away, but just remember what it feels like to give. What happens to you when you do that? Feel big. Feel rich. Feel fun. You know." Uh, so, so you, this is where you start. In other words, you start first practice, it's just acknowledging the heart and deepening beyond just this very confused self interest. Because, of course, self gratification is a very confused form of trying to arrive at one's welfare. It doesn't get you there. It gets us from one kind of flash gratification moment to the next. <laughs> but it doesn't provide anything much, any depth to it, as we all recognize. Uh, generosity in many respects. And uh, the Buddha commented, it's, this isn't just generosity in terms of material things, but in terms of um, attention, giving attention, giving service, uh, giving support to those who need it, uh, giving attention, this is all part of generosity, giving Dhamma. And giving Dhamma could be giving a talk, giving a teaching, or it could be giving your bit of Dhamma, you know, which doesn't have to be verbal. Our actions in terms of Dhamma is a gift. So presenting your calm, your steadiness as a gift, you know, as something we offer. And in a retreat situation, it's very important to touch in to acknowledge the giving field, the field of generosity that. Um, you know, we can catalyze by cooperating, sharing space, giving each other space, giving each other respect, helping each other out, and just even being present with each other, give each other presence. So that, you know, there's time when on our own, but then 
very important to have a meeting place which is about sensing a group presence and that we all give a little bit to that and it's a really nice way to look at these these group forms rather than you've got to get to the meeting on time otherwise you know you'd be sacked or something or <laughs> you know go to church <laughs> but I can give my presence I can give my sound I can give my voice it's generally we'd recognize it if there's you know, when we chant, it's just in it on my own, it's not going to sound very good. <laughs> but with a group feeling to it, there's a group sense of, you know, buoyancy, uplift, the tonalities. Mingle, the generosity. So the Buddha found this is such an important base in itself that he said you can't, how can you, you can't expect to develop even, uh, uh, well even, but first jhana without having cultivated generosity, let alone awakening. So it's inconceivable that you could ever experience awakening without fulfilling dana, generosity. I wasn't fundraising either. <laughs> it wasn't some kind of thing you was giving people to you know, fundraising, because he didn't raise any funds. <laughs> but it's just saying the truth. It's not any any quality of service, attitude, attention, kindness, spaciousness, you know, sympathy that's given. Um, and we cultivate that heart, and then one's own heart opens, and what else is awakening about but uh, the fulfillment of that freedom from the contracting, self-defending, self-justifying, self-criticizing, shriveled prune of a heart that uh, we can end up with. (laughs) To others as to myself and very important to also, you know, what do we give to ourselves? How are we generous with ourselves? Are we generous in terms of attitudes? So a sense of empathy uh, comes from the natural faculty of the heart. We enjoy it. Uh, what we may be tuning into is a common thread of, of, yeah, we all like to practice, or a common thread of, yeah, we all suffer, or a common thread of something we all feel... Uh, keen about, so it'd be gladness or whatever it is, but the sense of the commonality and the sharing and the empathy and generosity are all where the heart starts to come alive. And when we lose it is when we contract into self-defense, self-obsession, self-criticism, isolation. So much so that even when one is uh, practicing in solitude, it's very important to bring up uh, recollections of one's fellows, parents, relatives, friends, uh, near and far. In people we don't know very much, just going through it. Noticing today I've got a 
news flashes this horror typhoon swept through the Philippines and 10,000 people dead let alone how many people damaged uh, shocked wounded bereaved must be 100,000 you know can you imagine that wow how do you how do you get around that how do you get around that yes so the tsunamis the uh, hurricanes the typhoons the tornadoes uh, wars you know it's you can't be a human being without experiencing catastrophe that is part of it so, and yet there's the heart has an indestructible quality to it is our ability to embrace and include a whole range of feeling pleasant so basically pleasant and unpleasant feeling instead of forming a kind of a, a resistance to unpleasant feeling generally when feeling is unpleasant physical or mental there's a kind of stiffening and pressure and shut, trying to shut it off just stuck in my shoulder it, let it stay there you know try to kind of scrunch it down a bit <laughs> yeah. but instead of that you say well, could you just open up and let that pain flood right away shoulder chest everything mm-hmm. opening up to it good gesture mm and sensing the whole world in some way is in pain Mm. so what stops is the why is this happening, why me? And uh, how can I change this? What will happen in the future? Is this, how long is it going to go on for? Something's wrong. No, nothing wrong. Essentially, you know, yeah, on one level it's wrong. You could take a pill, you could do something. But on another level, a very deep level, no, this is, you know, what you kind of signed up for <laughs> being a human being <laughs> you're, in a, you're in a pain body <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and an unsatisfactory condition but it is it, you know, we can try to shut it off or we could go the other way to this deepening to empathy and uh, not letting ill will take over the heart 
which is where these Brahma-viharas come in. You can see them as the negation of the of ill will. <coughs> so they're, they're posited on the positive terms, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, but they're also, you can look at it as the negation of the impoverished, uh, flattened, overwhelmed, rather than exalted, and constricted, rather than immeasurable. It's the negation of not let allowing one's heart to be flattened, impoverished, and uh, constricted. So when the unpleasant feeling comes, feeling is feeling, doing what feeling does. In the teaching we see that uh, the cycle, feeling, if it's not handled and held, open to, held carefully, catalyzes tanha, leading a tanha craving, a compulsive itch to grab more of the pleasant feeling hold on to it, store it up, or resist, push away, fight with the unpleasant feeling. These two kinds of tanha. It's a kind of compulsive drive. And then craving is a condition that supports uh, upadana, grasping, clinging. And what this is experienced as upadana is when that craving is translated as I am. So the I am comes, is the translation of craving into I am going to get this, I have this, this is happening to me, I've got this. I'm stuck with this. Um, that's upadana, when the very experience of what we're resisting or holding on to t- turns into a person who's holding it, or a person who's being oppressed by it, or a person who's fighting with it, or a person who's always stuck with it. So you get the feeling, craving, feeding on it or clinging to it, and then becoming. And this sense of the person then builds up into a whole psychological vortex of I am stuck with all these difficult things happening to me and you know rolls on. Various kinds of, you know, strategies and uh, things that I do to deal with that feeling. But 
it can't do it because the I am that's dealing with the feeling is the result of the feeling so the oppressed self can't possibly shift what it's being oppressed by because the oppressed self the job of the oppressed self is to be an oppressed self (laughs) it doesn't oppressed selves don't know how to be anything else but oppressed selves because their job and their role and their function is to be an oppressed self and they're good at it they know that they got it packed. So when one of these, when we become one of these, I, you know, when I get that sense, why is it all happening to me? Da, 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 da. So much to do, all these things. Da, 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 da. The story, the role, the voice, the tone, heart, mood, perfect. <laughs> you know, pitch perfect, perfect. It doesn't know how to be anything other than that. Because that's its job. <clears throat> reminds us that really uh, and you see when you uh, and you notice it in others too and, oh there, she, there he is he's being the uh, uh, the demanding one or the righteous one or the you know in, the, in role and you can sense these self forms as, as people become them as these arise and he almost can predict what he's going to say because he said it so many times over the last two decades. <laughs> you know, well, you know, the thing, wow, how he's not recognized and how he's, well, he still hasn't been recognized. That's all these years, still not recognized. You know, was he the brass band or what? You know, still, it hasn't happened. Because it's that that self. That's that's its that's its story. That's what it's in. It can't be anything other than that. So just really bearing in mind, you know, that uh, unpleasant feeling is unpleasant feeling, but it's uh, and that's what we get. We get the sense of separateness, we get psychological unpleasant feeling, physical unpleasant feeling. And uh, it translates into the three-dimensional, apparently three-dimensional self, who is uh, underneath it all, depressed by it, stuck with it, very keen to, to, to get rid of it get out of it determined to get out of it can't do it because its job is to be stuck it's doing it so who is that that as who is that one we're not always that one we can be the we have a whole range of them so it's just one particular form that occurs and you get to know it and 
how to just the real skill of the heart is not to change it or fix it in any way and put it down or see these forms arising self forms arising and well look at that here I am, here he is again here it is, it's like this how does it feel in the body? listen to the tone of it listen to it with a mind of empathy a mind of interest, compassion so begin to allow a Dharma form to arise as a response you look at it another way it's dukkha, suffering and the origin of suffering which is tanha, craving those, those four that experience without moving away from it is how non-suffering and release occurs it's very relational now at one level you can say we want to get rid of suffering we want to stop suffering and that's true you try and get rid of it you try and stop it So how does it stop or cease or die down or subside something and it gets big enough to embrace that, to be with that? This is the what the heart can do. It can, in a way, we can see it can go in certain directions. It can actually continue along the trajectory of its suffering and it can continue on that trajectory seemingly eternally this is sangsara it can continue in that direction you know I mean I haven't been eternal but you come into these places in your mind that been there for oh yeah, suffering and the story you can make out of it can go on for decades <clears throat> so you, it, can, it can travel in that direction or it can also stop travelling in that direction instead widen and we widen we see suggestions like well this is what everybody has you know, so it's something that gets bigger than that this is a form the push of pain or discomfort, physical, psychological. And we just experience it as a push without proliferating around it, without letting it generate panic, ill will, depression, anxiety, knee-jerk reactions, um, self-criticism, what's wrong with me, why am I like this after practicing so many years, I should better handle this one surely 
after all, my teacher said this and that, and you know, after all these years, I should be able to handle this by now. <laughs> well, you know, the should be's aren't really that relevant. Widening to include the embarrassing fact that uh, personally we haven't completed, you know, we're still able to experience suffering. We're still able to experience imperfections. And that's a kind of ongoing, in some ways an ongoing story at one level. As far as we can see, even enlightened beings get pain, disease, you know, fall apart, die. And of course, the Buddha modeled that perfectly. Mm-hmm. And another level, you know, just being able to accept that with no loss of dignity, no loss of, no wavering in terms of ill will, rancor, dejection. This is uh, the possibility of the heart. This practice path, uh, one can make a lot of, and a lot is, is the, we need to remember, is about quality of action or intention, inclination. Where we say, "I am practicing." I am practicing. There's some sort of something is being done, isn't it? However subtly that is, whether it's just the inclining. Uh, withdrawing, uh, reflecting, there's something going on when we call it, I am practicing Dhamma, I'm practicing meditation, I'm practicing where something's happening. So this, this is this volitional quality, Sankara. Volitional quality is Chitana, volition, and it forms these particular um, Sankaras, which are uh, patterns. So, patterns of how we go about following our intentions and inclinations. And there are, just to put it very briefly, uh, this is where we get uh, conditioned in in terms of how we act, how we incline, how we practice, how we uh, instinctively assume that to be, gets conditioned by other ways in which we act and very much by uh, two particular uh, strong, strong influences. One is the influence of the sensory world. Yeah. The sensory world, the sense doors, give us the impression there's something out there that I could have, could get, taste, sight, sound, I could have it. It's a very um, immediate impression. 
it's a delightful impression. Of course, it's, it's a fallacy. There's nothing that can be had, is there, really? Yeah. Yesterday's ice cream is gone. <laughs> it can't be had. It can be, it can be, it can be passed through, you know, but it, nothing can be had. You get a flash of it, it's gone. But I think, oh, we'll have another one. Or something else. <coughs> That's that trajectory. The senses you know, rely upon or, or based around that, uh, that kind of uh, possibility. Something we can have and get. And see, by and large, human beings are moving along on that track. <coughs> does offer some sense of uh, pleasure, happiness, fulfillment, gratification at some level for at least for a while. And then you get the psychological gratification of, of uh, remember, being able to remember it. <laughs> you know, or, or possessing things, seemingly possessing things like a nice big car. Makes one feel like one's a, a you know, one's arrived because I've got a, a Rolls Royce or a big big Cadillac or something. Therefore, I've got it. It says something about me. So there's also this craving for becoming, identity, being someone who can obtain at will these delightful sense objects, even though they can't. <laughs> You know, they actually can't. Still, there's that piece of mythology. So this is a very powerful thing. What it tends to set up in terms of the way we go about practice is there's something out there wonderful that I could have. Something out there really wonderful and special that I could have. If it is kind of irritating things weren't in the way particularly I could have that very wonderful fulfilled, completed happy, satisfied experience it's out there somewhere in, in psycho space I could have that oh I'll go on a retreat I'll have that experience I've heard other people have it yeah. uh, Perhaps we don't even think, really think it, but somehow there's a feeling of it could be, it could, it could be wonderful. But there's always something getting in the way of that. And uh, you know, today, as every day, I heard everyone certainly experience talking about the things that were getting in the way of that good experience that could happen, we'd like to have happen, would happen if this disappointing thing wasn't in the way. (laughs) And what we do to kind of somehow get out of that, change that rather saddening, disappointing, painful, confusing experience to get to the really wonderful thing, you could have it. You know, and, and then 
you sort of don't mind working through that, being with that, as long as in the end of it I'll get there. I don't mind paying for it, if need be, working hard for it, but so it's only get it. What do you think it is then, that thing that you're going to get? Peaceful, happy, free, released. Mm-hmm. I had something like it the other week. Well, it's, it was impermanent, wasn't it? <laughs> Just like the ice cream. <coughs> so yeah, we, we can, the, we, these rather, really rather sublime, wonderful experiences can happen, but they also, they shift and change, they pass through just like everything else. Mm-hmm. Not that they're not pleasant, enjoyable, but they pass through. Now, this is not really to put, put down experiences of peace and calm and so on, but just to, to place them carefully in the mandala of Dhamma practice of these are the kind of things that can arise. What does not arise or pass or change the unconditioned does not arise, it's not subject to arising, passing, changing. It doesn't happen. It isn't something that you get. So the Buddha said, this is actually the supreme, you can't, this is something you can't, you don't lose this one, because it doesn't arise. It doesn't mean you don't experience it, but it doesn't manifest as a, an arising experience. And the sense doors keep educating into the ideas of finite thing one could have, you can get it. And it's, it's, it's a piece of mythology, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. <clears throat> now, as we contemplate the senses and their messages, we also can recognize that the sense doors have that external pointing, which is very much about something out there that one could have. They also have an interior, and the two big interiors are the body, the sense door of the body and the sense door of the mind. Also, uh, hearing, you have the sense door of hearing, has, it has an inner quality to it. And even the sense door of the eye has an inner quality to it. Um, the inner quality of the ear is the sound of listening or the sound of silence, which is the interior of that, which again is just there not a particular finite object, it's just a, something that, that is a sign, a manifestation of a dropping of that movement out and a turning inward. Body has a huge interior to it. And as we know the exteriors of the body, all the tangibles with their you know, sweet or soft or abrasive or prickly or smooth and you know all the qualities of that they have an interior quality of the body which is 
<coughs> has many levels to it energetic levels and also very deep inner space yeah. and this is these are things these qualities which are actually much more fulfilling are not arrived at through the general op- ways we operate in terms of getting something you don't get something you just keep releasing 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 around the tensions releasing around the uh, constrictions releasing around the feelings and the energies as you keep getting wider those energies that we experience interior uh, they're signs of something you've just got to widen around so actually the process is one of a deepening and widening into interior and right through that eventually there's the it's dissolving now another so just we're moving away from the habit that the sense the external the external direction of the senses um, conditions in us another very important um kind of inclination that gets conditioned to in, into us through the exterior world is called work. And you don't hear much about this in the suttas because I guess they didn't have work. <laughs> like we, they had cattle and they had oxen and they had rice, but they didn't have nine to five, jump up, rush down, commute, traffic jam, you know, faster, faster productivity statistics, um, unemployment, uh, pay rise, and so they didn't have all that. And just how huge a part of people's lives that is. Work. And uh, around it, and in its shadow comes anxiety. Anxiety that you're not getting enough work done, if you don't do your work, you're going to get sacked. They might put you off. They might just sack you anyway. <laughs> you're not good enough. And there's also a huge amount of uh, self. We don't like you very much. We don't think you're good enough. Out, you know. So there's rejection again around work. So work becomes a very strong uh, condition and, and conditioner for us to work becomes something where you prove your worth, you prove you're a valid member of society, you can hold your own, you get your work done, and it's more than just economic, it's also a sense in which you are a proper, fully formed person because you can get a job, you can do the work, you can get the things done, and so there you are. So then, okay, you take that into meditation, Dhamma practice. Work hard. Okay, here we go. Work hard. <laughs> and, and of course, the thing with work is that it always uh, predicates that, yeah, this is tough, this is challenging, but at the end of the week you get your pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The work is something that's not enjoyable in the present, 
it's made enjoyable by getting the pay at the end of the week or the end of the year or whatever it is and the cycle goes on because of course the pay that you get you end up spending to recover from the stress you've gone through in earning it <laughs> so by Monday you, you're broke again so back to work and the amount of money you have to spend getting the car, buying the gas and so forth to get to work means that you're on that and then the insurance and so forth so it's always in the future so it's, it's justified by a future result and the, of course the sense is well okay we'll do this for 40 years but then by the end of it you will have completed your working career you'll have enough house that paid off the mortgage so forth then you can retire and then you'll be kind of happy and, and so on and uh, you know that. but that doesn't work by itself so when we this very also conditions our sankharas the way we pattern our practice practice is something about arriving in the future when I will be clean, pure, purified and so on and struggling now that in the future at the end of the retreat how many retreats you've done and yeah there's yeah, some, definitely some progress has occurred and yet still there's something not quite because in the work ethic it's never finished so the working self can't experience other than things that go into the work ethic which is in the future you'll be okay you've got to work at it to get there that's what it knows that's what it that's what it gets entrained into in the future you'll get there in the future a few years later I've got somewhere but still a bit more work to do uh, and then a few years later yeah that was quite nice just a bit more work to do a lot of work to do there must be a lot of work to do to be a once returner well, okay let's just drop the bar a bit a lot of work to do to be a stream intro okay well let's drop the bar a bit more you know. <laughs> <laughs> on the way to being a street <laughs> actually the working self is never going to get there because it only knows about somewhere in the future you'll get the pay you'll get the, the uh, certificate you'll get the enlightenment experience in the future that's what it knows you can't operate outside that So as long as we are, you know, find ourselves, as I'm sure well, we do from time to time, or even most much of the time, operating in that way, it's always, how can I get through this experience? How can I get over this experience? How can I work my way through this experience? What does it feel like? Now, Mm -hmm. 
Oh, it's tiring. Is there another way? So, another way in which we can operate, perhaps it sounds slightly contradictory, where we can really put energy in, and effort and energy, and we call it play. Play means actually deriving a sense of enjoyment in the present moment. It doesn't really matter where it goes because just playing with stuff itself is giving is already a giving, rewarding experience. I mean, you feel the sense of you handling something, kicking it around, trying it this way, trying that way. It doesn't matter. You know? So play is always justified in the present moment. And as you within that, the mind also has a lot more resources. Now when the working mind has basic resources of willpower, it's not built for sensitivity. It's built for willpower and a certain adopting a program and staying with it. Kind of resolved willpower to get there. And at a certain point, probably most of us get rather tired of that that syndrome so then you kind of conk out or collapse or give up that doesn't that's not it either is there another way another way is we learn to play with it play with our experience how does it feel in the body playing with it isn't necessarily a trivial thing you can play chess is not a light, frivolous experience. It's very involved, it's committed, but eventually it's just a game, you know, moving things around. Mm -hmm. And the play here is, how does this in your body, uh, can you speak to it? Can you be with that? Can you look at it? Can you can you imagine what it looks like? Can you visualize it? Particularly, you know, we start to learn to look at the face of the mind instead of the voice of it. The voice is saying, do this, do that, you'll get there, and you look at the face, you see this sort of furrowed brow, and you know, sort of tightened eyes, and you think, wow, she's stressed out. <laughs> I'm not following her, <laughs> her advice. <laughs> so play gives you a, a tremendous vantage point, because you just want to look at things in different ways. It brings a play is imaginative. It's flexible. It's not time bound. <coughs> Work is very much time bound. Quicker the better. Get it through. Play is not time bound. There's no such thing as time in play because we're not aiming for anything, any result. 
we're starting to get a sense in which truly and I think this comes to us in in here and there we realize actually we are really actually timeless time is not a forward trajectory time is something we we can dip in and out of different time phases we don't move forward in time time is a measurement of our own nervous system our own drive, impatience excitement or sense of stagnation it's been a long time what does that mean? how does it feel? so these various messages that the besieged self comes up with whether it's been a long time how long is it going to take how long are we stuck with this you listen to the voice it's very convincing you look at the face of that mind and you think well whatever she's saying I'm not following her she's suffering <laughs> you know and some sense of compassion for that <coughs> the unconditioned is outside of time it's not a time bound thing doesn't move forward it doesn't arrive in the future it's when the mind widens widening to its complete openness and widening you see whenever we conceive of time then we start to tighten up and narrow because time drives us forward we want to get somewhere we tighten up and narrow you know, rush get on so when you begin to kind of get some of these senses of the, the pressure to achieve or the feeling of stuck whether the time is, is too heavy and not moving fast enough if you're frozen in it you feel rushed along by it this is really telling you something about uh, something's happening in your own nervous system not, not a reality out there <coughs> and you can step outside that you can notice that step outside that imagine what it looks like imagine what it feels like what it feels like in your body who the being is who's being created by it how would you talk to him or her how would you sense their presence how would you accept them as they are so this is the ways we, we widen out of our time bound self out of our time bound habits this is empathy in practice in some ways it refuses to change things or to participate in that another self fixing, another self cure, another self patching up it refuses to, to cooperate with that but instead opens to compassion
uh, continue our practice this evening and uh, if you want to stretch your legs for a while uh, and we'll finish with a half an hour session.